0: Well, Advent is a great word, as Mrs. Natalie said, and it literally means to come or the arrival. Uh, Advent comes from a Latin word uh, to come or the arrival of a king. And in the ancient times, um, they used to cut a straight path in the wilderness to welcome an oncoming king. And we're going to be talking today about what does it mean to cut a path in the wilderness and prepare for the arrival of a coming king. In our sense, it's the coming of Jesus Christ into the world and into our hearts. Now, you'll notice the scripture today is from Isaiah 40. Isaiah 1 to 39 was probably one author who lived eight centuries before Christ, 742 to 701 before Christ. But that author was really an author who was trying to warn the people of Israel about the way they should treat other people, about the way they should promote justice and righteousness. And if they didn't live that way, if they trusted other gods of materialism, military weaponry, their nation might fall. And in fact, Isaiah was right, their nation did fall in 587 BC to the Babylonians. But this text today, Isaiah 40, actually starts a second Isaiah, a new author, who wrote during the time when the people were in exile in Babylon. And you'll notice in this scripture, it starts out, uh, comfort, comfort my people. It starts out with a, a word of warning, but also a word of hope for the people. But this time, is, it's really a, t- a word of hope that the people are going to be restored, that a new king, Cyrus of Persia, is going to come and defeat the Babylonians. But even more importantly, a Savior is going to come who's not only going to save the nation of Israel, but is going to save the whole world. So our scripture is going to come up on the screen. It's Isaiah 40, 1 to 5. We're going to be st- reading this during the Advent season. Jessica von Lohr and I will be preaching on this throughout the next four or five weeks. But notice what the author Isaiah says. This is second Isaiah, a new Isaiah, who's speaking during this time when the people are in exile, and they're really worried about what's gonna happen to us. How can we worship God in a strange land? This is where we pick up the story. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid. In other words, all the penalty for her sin of the past has been paid now, and something's about to happen. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins, but her debts are paid. Now something new is going to happen. So this new Isaiah cries out a voice cries out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we didn't come here today to hear a human voice or a human word or a human opinion. We came to hear your voice. So I pray you could free from our minds anything that would distract us from hearing a message that would be life changing for us. That would be what we need to hear. And we pray, oh God, you'd pour through me the gift of preaching that these words might truly be your living word to us. And we know they will be for we pray with anticipation in the strong name of Jesus, whose birth we're about to celebrate. Amen. Hey folks, the TV announcer said there's only 26 more shopping days till Christmas. Are you prepared? Now, how do you feel when you hear those words? What do you have to do between now and Christmas day? You know, when we think of preparing for Christmas, we think of buying gifts and wrapping gifts. We think of getting the lights out of the attic or the basement and getting the ladder out and putting up all the lights on the house or or then the burned out bulbs we need to replace. And, and then we also think of the Christmas card list and getting the appropriate Christmas card list uh, ready and then getting the card, the pictures on the card, the writing on the card, what are you going to say? And then to whom are you going to send these cards? And what if people have a change of address and then we've got to get a new address for them? Is it depressed yet? We're trying to figure out all this about Christmas. But you know what the single greatest worry and anxiety producer is about Christmas? It's not buying the gift or wrapping the gift. It's selecting the gift. In other words, sociologists tell us that if we're not in a good relationship with somebody, if we're not doing well with somebody, or maybe we've neglected them this past year, we try to buy them a gift that would compensate for our lack of time with them. And so we spend more money on them than we ever would. By the way, I want you to know, I've said to Bong Bingus and I've said to Willow Stevens, do not spend a lot of money this year on my Christmas gift. Just don't do it. I mean, I do not need a Porsche. I don't need a Porsche. A Jaguar maybe, but not a Porsche. But isn't it interesting, all this emphasis on buying and shopping and what we're going to give somebody, what we're going to get for Christmas, isn't it interesting that what we're celebrating is the birth of a baby born in a manger, and we're celebrating a baby who grew up to be a Galilean carpenter, never owned a home, never accumulated much wealth in our material sense of the term and actually never had a lot of money to spend or pay in taxes and so forth. He preached and lived a simple message, a message of love and forgiveness and grace and gratitude. And he didn't have a lot of material possessions himself. We celebrate that person by this materialistic extravaganza. And, you know, we celebrated Black Rack Friday last Friday with all these millions and billions of dollars spent on all these things that we are accumulating. Black Friday is a time when the stores open. Do you remember Black Friday? It started in 1961 in Philadelphia and it, it took dealer retailers from the red to the black. And people didn't think that term was going to catch on because of the racial implications of all that. So, But they tried to make it Big Friday, but they didn't work. People wanted Black Friday because the retailers went from the red, literally, to the black. And billions were spent on Black Friday. And you remember how in the 1990s, the stores were opened at midnight on Thanksgiving Day, and you could go in at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock and wait in line for an hour or two. And then at midnight or 12.01, the stores would magically open, and you get all these deals that you would be able to buy. Buy and and then came Cyber Monday back in 2005, and and Cyber Monday created another billion dollars of, of of income for the retailers. It started out with 0.5 billion, and now it's up to 10.7 billion will be spent t- tomorrow on Cyber Monday. By the way, if you act today, you can get a deal for tomorrow on Cyber Monday. You can get Samsung uh, earbuds for 40% off. By the way, lock the doors. I don't want anybody to go shopping now or take away the cell phones i don't want anybody shopping during this sermon do you hear me no shopping during this sermon but isn't it interesting all this emphasis on materialism so what i want to ask you today is where and how are you going to prepare for the birth of the messiah if isaiah could come in here isaiah would say you know we're preparing in the wrong way Actually, instead of going faster and faster and getting busier and busier, trying to get all these things done, Isaiah, the prophet would say, slow down. Don't move so fast. Slow down and focus on the people of your life. Do not try to be the Messiah and meet all the needs for your family. You couldn't meet all their needs and expectations anyway. So slow down and anticipate the Messiah. Do simple things. Take time to read to a child or take time to read the Christmas story. Take time to to buy a gift at the Christmas market and give to a poor person. Take time to do something different. And then Isaiah would say the place we should prepare is in the wilderness. And you say, in the wilderness? What does that mean to prepare for the son of God's birth in the wilderness? Well, what it means is, as I was saying earlier, that in the time of, of John the Baptist and in the time of Isaiah, when a conquering king would come into an area, they literally take a sickle and they'd cut down all the brush and they'd get ready for the king to come so there'd be a king's highway. And they'd take the boulders out. If there's any boulders or rocks out, they'd take all those and move those out so the king could have access to the land. Unless I miss my guess, there's somebody here today who's got a relational wilderness you're living in. Maybe you've allowed some seeds and weeds of resentment or bitterness or anger at somebody, or you have a broken relationship with them. And what Advent is all about, what this adventure that Mrs. Natalie was talking about for the kids was, what this adventure is all about is is allowing Jesus, the Messiah, to come in a straight path into the wilderness. And maybe instead of those seeds of resentment and bitterness and anger, that have been allowed to grow. That what if you took a sickle and cut those down and allowed love and forgiveness and a new beginning to grow? Unless I miss my guess, there's somebody here who's got a boulder in their w- wilderness. They've got to remove those boulders, remove the impediments so the king can come. And maybe the name of that boulder is grief or addiction or a bad habit. And what Jesus is asking us and Isaiah is asking us to do is to to remove that boulder out and and replace it with new habits and new starts and new beginnings and new behavior patterns. Instead of focusing on the material, focus on the people. Advent means God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, he's saying, God with us. What if instead of buying things for people or focusing on the buying, we focus on being with people. Advent's a time to write somebody a handwritten note. Uh, when was the time, last time you got a handwritten note? It's, it really means something. I got a handwritten note the other day, and it means the world to me. Just a few sentences of somebody thanking me for something, but it means so much they wrote a handwritten note. Advent's a time to have some new behavior patterns, so write a handwritten note to somebody or, or call them on the phone. They have somebody you haven't seen in a long time, you know, the wilderness is a rich biblical metaphor. The wilderness actually means a lot to me. When I think of the word wilderness, I think of my Aunt Ella and Uncle Wynne in Glen Burnie, Maryland. I'm an only child, and they're not biological aunt and uncles, but uh, my mother and dad, Carl and Hazel Toole, used to go and visit Aunt Ella and Uncle Wynne in Glen Burnie, and because I was an only child, they took me with them. And Uncle Wynne was a meticulous caretaker of this farm. There were 15 glorious acres of of rows, of neat-tidy rows of corn, and neat-tidy rows of beans, and neat-tidy rows of strawberries, and all these wonderful things that would grow there. And he was meticulous in his care for 14 of the 15 acres. But there was one acre in the back that Uncle Wynne didn't tend. He, He just didn't tend it. And weeds grew up, and... There were actually some empty beer bottles back there and there was an old tire and a rusted out piece of farm equipment and garter stakes would go back there and little rodents would go back there. And the weeds grew tall and it was an area that Uncle Wynn just didn't even care about. And, you know, when I think about Advent, I think about that maybe that farm is a metaphor for our lives I have a feeling if you went into a lot of our homes and looked at our records and looked at the way we live our life, I have a feeling 14 of our 15 acres of our life might be pretty neat and meticulous and well cared for and, and we'd like it, We'd like to show it off, but but I have a feeling that way in the back, there's an acre that we haven't tended so much and maybe we have some fantasies or some thoughts that we're not proud of or some behavior patterns we're trying to get rid of and maybe there's some things in our life that, that aren't so good and, and that we've been allowed to grow fallow back there and what Isaiah is saying is go back there during advent cut a straight path in the wilderness remove the boulders and that that old tire and the rusted farm equipment and get rid of those beer bottles and cut down the grass and tidy it up a bit and let the savior come into that area because God wants to teach us something in the wilderness it's in the wilderness areas of our life that God wants to teach us something If you think about it, the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, 40 is a biblical metaphor for a very long time. The people of Israel were there for a long time. They wanted to leave Egypt where they were captive, briskly walk across the wilderness and then go to the promised land. But God knew they needed to be in the wilderness for a time so they could learn how to trust And remember God gave them manna. Do you remember this every day? They got a little bit of manna and then they got quail and they got enough to to meet their needs and they had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and they were led across that land. But they were there for 40 years because they didn't always learn their lessons of trust they wanted to eat the manna before it was ready and and they they on the day when it was fallow they couldn't eat it they wanted to eat it anyway and they got sick and they were poisoned and they just were slow to learn the lessons but god sent them into the wilderness because all the props are kicked out from us there and the wilderness places are the places that are hard for us but it's the places we need to go to learn the spiritual lessons we need to learn and Even Jesus of Nazareth was brought into the wilderness by the spirit of God, led him into the wilderness and he was tempted there for 40 days and 40 nights. And if he hadn't been tempted, if he hadn't learned those lessons in the wilderness of how to deal with temptation, he wouldn't have been our savior. Does that surprise you? Jesus had to go into the wilderness to learn some spiritual lessons because God had to get him ready to be the Savior. And if he hadn't dealt with those three temptations in the wilderness, he wouldn't have been able to be the Savior. And those temptations came back to him again and again and again in his ministry. Even when he's on the cross, hanging on the cross, and they yelled to him, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And I think he could have done it. But if he'd done it, he wouldn't have been our Savior. It was the fact he stayed on the cross and died for our sins. And then God raised him from the dead, that he's the savior of the world. But but see, we we always want to move ahead and, and forget that Jesus was a human being who had temptations like every one of us have, but he had to go into the wilderness to learn the spiritual lessons to be the savior of the world. So Jesus has more in store for us. God's got more in store for us than we could ever imagine. And maybe God is sending you and me into a wilderness place this Advent to do some spiritual work, to get some relationships right, and, and live a simpler life and learn the, the, the beauty of material possessions if they're given to serve and help someone, not just to win their approval. And maybe God's trying to teach us lessons this Advent season of the kind of person God wants us to be. I helped Jessica Von Loha write a daily devotional guide that people got in the mail. We've got some available out here in the back today, and I hope you'll take a daily devotional guide. It's written for every day of the Advent season, starting today. But on page two, I I stuck in there a little bit of of an explanation of Advent, and there's a poem by C.S. Lewis, who's one of my favorite authors, that, that I believe God wants every one of us to focus on. So I hope you might take that Advent guide. I hope you read it every day for five minutes a day, very quick to read it but I hope you'll focus on page two, the meaning of Advent. And Lewis writes this about Advent. He titles this little poem, Advent. And this is what he thinks is the purpose of Advent. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what God is doing. God's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so forth. You know those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. But presently, God starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not even make sense. What on earth is God up to? The explanation is that God is building quite a different house than the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought, Lewis says, you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But God is building a palace. God wants to live in it himself. Advent is a season where we give the king access to our life. We cut a straight path into the wilderness and go into that wilderness and allow God into our relational wilderness and our emotional wildernesses, so God can do some activity in our life so that God can get us ready. God can prepare us for our service in the world. So so Advent is a time to to give a gift and to read to Luke 2 to a child and read a child a story and to spend time with Emmanuel, God with us, to spend time with people so you can really savor the simplicity and the, the meaning of the season. It's a time to, to listen to music and to remember that this, this birth of Jesus changes the world. It changes our life. It's all about us, what God has given to us in Jesus Christ. Well, folks, there's only 26 more shopping days till Christmas. Are you prepared? (laughs) Where and how will you prepare for Christmas? Will you put Jesus back into Christmas this year? I close with a thought that I wish you could have all known my friend Steve Hainer. You know, Steve Hainer was a an evangelical Christian in the best sense of the term. He was president of Inner Varsity Christian Fellowship, and thousands and thousands of college students came to know God through Steve Hainer. But Steve was the kind of guy that when college students found out that he was a follower of Jesus Christ, they said, now, if that's what a follower of Jesus Christ is, that's what I want to do. I want to follow Jesus because I want to be like Steve Hainer. How many people do you know you could say that about, by the way? But Steve Hainer was just that kind of guy. And he was an exemplary of life. And he became president of Columbia Seminary near the end of his life. And I say near the end of his life because he's died. He was died at the age of 66 about five years ago. It was a real loss for me and all of us who knew and loved Steve. But he had a family tradition at Christmas that he and his wife, Cheryl, and their three children and their five grandchildren would always gather around the table, the 13 of them, on Christmas Eve. And they'd always invite two or three other families. So they typically had 25 to 28 at Christmas Eve dinner. And they were all around tables and card tables. And, and during the dinner, which was festive and delicious and many courses, and then they all cleaned up and had dessert. And sometime during that time, the in the in the living room had a shepherd and a wise man and Mary and Joseph and the, the manger, the stable and the manger, but Jesus the baby was not in the manger. But it was always, nobody knew when it happened or how it happened, but every Christmas Eve, the baby Jesus was placed in the manger, but nobody knew who did it, when they did it or how they did it, they just saw that Jesus was there. So during the end of dinner, about the time of dessert, they were just finishing up, Steve would always point to one of his five grandchildren and say, Mary, this is your year. You go out and see if the baby Jesus is in the manger yet. And Mary'd run out and she'd go back and she said, everybody, Jesus is born. Jesus is here. Woohoo! And they all yelled and they sang joy to the world and they sang, oh, come all ye faithful. And they sang silent night and they had a great festive evening Because the baby Jesus was in the manger. Well, one of the people who went to that Christmas Eve dinner one time was a young woman I knew, Miriam Daniel. She's nine years old, and she's the daughter of Thomas Daniel and Beth Daniel, a friend of Suzanne's and mine. And and Miriam, one night during the Christmas Eve dinner, she went out to the bathroom during dinner, and um, she went into the living room, and there was Steve Hainer on his knees putting the little baby Jesus in the manger, Steve was embarrassed that somebody saw him doing this. And he said, now, Miriam, you know, you know, this is our secret. Now you found out that I'm the one who does it. She said, Steve, I had no idea you did. He said, yeah, I do it every year, but I don't want anybody to know it's me. Cause I want my grandchildren to think that just, it just happened miraculously and they didn't know how it happened. And so Miriam said, Steve, your secret's safe with me. Now, remember Miriam's nine years old. So your secret's safe with me, she said. Well, then, um, a few months later, Steve contracted pancreatic cancer. Sixty-six years old, stage four. It went like wildfire. All of us who knew Steve were devastated by this. I mean, we, we literally, we literally watched this guy waste away to nothing. He was a soccer player, a judo person, an athlete. He he did yoga. He exemplified health and joy, and yet he wasted away to nothing before our very eyes. But every day he wrote a blog on what it's like to have your last year of, of life on earth, and it's the most phenomenal thing that I've read about how to live your life. And he talked about cutting away in the wilderness and giving God access to your life, which Steve did. So... When Steve had just a few days to live, Thomas Daniel, my friend, decided he would go to see Steve to say goodbye. And Miriam, the nine-year-old daughter, said, well, Daddy, if you're gonna go to say goodbye to Steve, I- I've gotta go too. And Thomas said, well, honey, I mean, you know, you're only nine and actually Steve is so weak. He, he really, I don't even know whether he'll receive me as a visitor, but uh, I-, I just can't, you're too young to go and see him in this jaundiced condition and he doesn't look very good. And she said, Daddy, I've got to go. I've got to talk to Steve. I've got a message for him. He's going to want to hear what I have to say. And I need to see him before he dies. So what, do you, what would you do? So Thomas took his daughter Miriam with him, and they went into Steve's room. And, and then when they got up to his bedside, Steve was asleep. And Cheryl, his wife, woke him up and said, Thomas and Miriam are here. And Steve smiled, but he was very, 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 very weak. Then Miriam looked at her daddy, Thomas, and said, Daddy, I need to speak to Steve alone. Please leave the room. So Thomas did. And Miriam Daniel, nine years old, goes over to the bedside of Steve and said, Steve, I know you're not going to live to see Christmas this year, and I'm very, very sad. But I just have to tell you, do not worry. I will put Jesus in the manger this year because I don't want your grandchildren to forget that Jesus is what Christmas is all about. So Steve and Miriam and Isaiah and John the Baptist would all say Jesus is the reason for the season. Will we...